0: The following audio is from Norris Ferry Community Church. More information about Norris Ferry Community Church is available at org. Well, good morning. My name is Jared Clary. I'm one of the pastors here um, over students and missions. Tracy has picked a unique week to miss. If y'all read the text that we're preaching today, then you'll know why, right? And so soon then all of us will know as uh, you look at this text, this is one of those texts that if you don't preach through books of the Bible, like what Norris Ferry does, is we, that we preach through a whole book of the Bible at a time, then you never pick 1 Corinthians 5 as like your text. You're like, yeah, let me do 1 Corinthians 5. This will be a good one. right? Like You just don't end up in texts like this. And yet, the wisdom of God put 1 Corinthians 5 in the Scripture for us in order that it might teach us, instruct us, Cast our eyes upon him who fully satisfied the wrath of God, which should have been aimed at us, but in Christ, then we are adopted in, we're called the family of God, and yet a text like this still does that, that that's the purpose of it. And so we will be looking at 1 Corinthians 5, the whole chapter. Tracy didn't want me to leave any left over for him. He was like, just go ahead and cover the whole thing, right? Like i mean, leave a little bit for you. Like, no. So, uh, so we're going to cover the whole chapter. And um, I, I really am excited about this text because, it, one, it's scripture and it's profitable for us. But then also I think that the Lord has something for us that, to convict our hearts, to, to move us beyond our comfort zone um, for his glory and our good. And so let's pray and then we'll jump into this. God, thank you for your word that does teach us, that instructs our hearts, Lord, that, that is the wisdom of God, not the wisdom of man, but the wisdom of God, which is pure and holy and true and is good for us, even when it, it rubs up against our own desires, when it rubs up against our own inclinations, Lord, your word is true, God, so would you help us? as we look at your word today, that, that we would be willing to submit our will, as we sang, that we would bow our will to you. Lord, that we would know you better, and in tune with that, fall more deeply in love with you. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm listening to this audio book called The Residents, that's about all the White House staff. And it's pretty interesting. Some of these people are staying there through multiple presidencies and everything. But they were talking to one of the chefs. And the chef said that, that the chefs protect the president because they feed him every day. And that the, the food which they prepare, that they're the stop. Like it comes through them and then it goes to the president. And so that they protect the present. But as they were talking about this, as they're talking about the elaborate stuff that they create and, you know, for these state dinners and all of these different things, then they were talking about the ingredients in which they take in. That you can't produce something magnificent if the individual raw ingredients aren't magnificent to begin with. That you can't have a corporate... Purity and holiness is what Paul's going to talk about if you don't have an individual holiness. That the church corporately can't be pure and spotless bride of Christ if individually we don't live holy and righteous and pure lives. And so that's what Paul's going to address here. And so as we look at this text, then Paul is going to address a sin issue which then reveals another sin issue. So he's addressing an issue of sexual immorality in the church, which reveals a sin issue of the Corinthians' pride and arrogance in thinking that they've got a better knowledge, a better wisdom. And then Paul's going to instruct the church how to move forward living out their true identity in Christ. Of This is who you are. If you were here several weeks ago, then I talked about that, that we're eagles, we're not chickens. Right? That... that Don't live as chickens, and that's what Paul's going to talk about, that your identity is as a follower of Christ, and Christ has given you this new identity, and so live it out. And so that's what we're going to look at. We're going to see in verses 1 through 8 the severity of sin. So let's read that, and then we'll discuss this. It says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of the kind that's not even tolerated among the pagans. For a man has his father's wife, and you are arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in the body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present, with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan." For the destruction of his flesh. So that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Not with old leaven the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. So as we unpack this, and we're going to see the action. We're going to see the process and we're going to see the reason. So first, the action. In verses 1 and 2, Paul Paul lays out the action. We get these two sins laid out here. He says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, that, that there was a report. Now, we don't know exactly where this report came from, but... But it wasn't the Corinthians. They weren't like, hey, Paul, uh, by the way, we're doing great, and uh, this is going on. It, they weren't just like, hey, Paul, here you go, here's some information. So it was reported to Paul that probably from Chloe's people that had reported some other things to Paul of what was going on in the church. And so, so it, was, it was well known within the church of, of this sexual immorality. That there's sexual immorality among you, but it's a sexual immorality that's among them that not even the pagans tolerate. He's like, not even, not even lost people act this lost. It's like, not even the pagans tolerate this. This is culturally not acceptable. Y'all are interested in the world's wisdom and the culture's wisdom, but even the culture in the world don't accept this. Well, what is this? It's that... A man has his father's wife. And we go, what? Like, do you ever go to the zoo and you see the sign that says, don't jump in the tiger's pen? And you're like, why do they need a sign that says, don't jump in the tiger's pen? Because someone's done it, right? Like, just read rules and rules exist because someone's done it. I tell the youth that sometimes. I'm like, yep, these rules exist because one of y'all has done it. <clears throat> uh-huh. They know. But we go, uh, wait a minute, what? Well, this isn't actually the first time that, that there's a scriptural rule that says don't do this. Like it's in Leviticus, it's in Deuteronomy. And you see that there's a there's a wickedness of man's heart where Romans talks about of like inventors of evil. That That sin and the lostness of sin and the depravity of our heart in one sense should never shock us. Because it's like lost people act lost and they're inventors of lostness. And yet Paul is talking to the Corinthian church and he's like, there's a sin issue going on in your body that not even the culture says is okay. And yet, you are arrogant and yet you're arrogant. He's like, and yet you think you've achieved some superior status that you're like, Oh, well, Paul, you're so elementary. All you do is talk about the gospel. Like we've got this higher knowledge. And he's like, no, there's mess going on and you're arrogant and not even the culture accepts this. He's just showing how much they've missed it. Now, the arrogance here and their depravity is kind of unclear. Like, are they just tolerant of this? There's a sin issue going on, and they don't want to rock the boat. And so they're like, let's sweep this under the carpet. Pretend it's not happening. We don't want to upset people. Maybe these people were prestigious in the community. Maybe they had a lot of influence. They were like, if we address this then we're going to split the church. If we address this then people are going to get mad at us and leave. We don't know. That may be it that they were just trying to cover it up. They're trying to ignore it, turn a blind eye, or they may have gone the other way where they're saying, "See, we're free in Christ." We yeah, come here. You can live however you want. Claim Christ, live however you want, we'll take you all. Come on, you can be a part of this. Right? We see this in our culture, both ways. Churches today We see it. Corinthians aren't that different from American culture. If we really get down to it of, okay, so we see churches in both of those places who no longer call sin, sin. But you can be here. If you claim to be a Christian, we love everybody. We also see churches that go, yeah, don't don't practice church discipline. Like stay out of people's business. Just stand up there, preach the gospel. Don't get in people's business. And so we see that the action here is that there are two sin issues. There's, there's known sin in the church that's not being addressed. And then there's arrogance by the Corinthians to not address it. And so Paul says, ought you not rather to mourn? You're arrogant when you should be broken. You're standing tall, puffed up chest when you ought to be like the tax collector who wouldn't even lift his head. He says, ought you not rather to mourn? This mourn there is this, this kickback to the Old Testament where when Israel would mourn, it moved them to action. So it's not just this passive mourning like, oh, woe is me, this terrible thing is happening. It was a mourning which moved them to act. Like there's a brokenness which goes sackcloth and ashes as the Old Testament, and then we're purging. We're purging, We're moving. We've got to get right with the Lord. And so Paul is saying, Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul says, So with this issue of sexual immorality, known sin in the church, that's not being addressed, you need to remove this person. So what's the process of that? How does one remove a person? What is the process? Verses 3 through 5 tell us. It says, For though absent in the body, I am present in the spirit. And as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of his flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord that that the process is in the power of the Lord in the presence of the Lord as the church comes together the power of the Lord in the presence of the Lord then they were to remove this person well what does it mean to remove well it says you are to deliver this man to satan we go whoa billy bob to satan Like As we encounter this text, then then there's tons of questions which start to arise in our mind. Like, what? Really? Why? How? What? And Paul's going to continue to lead us through that. He says, you're to deliver this man to Satan. Why do we deliver him to Satan? For the destruction of his flesh. Sin always causes pain, hurt, and destruction. Always. Always, always, always. Pain, hurt, and destruction. Now, when I touch something hot and I experience pain, my hand recoils. Because the pain tells me that's not good for me. That's not healthy. Move. Don't stay here. Pain is this this way, this destruction of the flesh, the pain and the hurt of sin. In some cases, will wake people out of a stupor. It will jar you enough, the pain and the hurt, the hitting rock bottom, to go, whoa, this isn't good for me. And so Paul is saying that that as you've addressed this person, and hopefully as you've called this person to repentance, Matthew 18 tells us that there's a, a process of church discipline, that when you see sin in someone's life, then one person goes. If they don't repent... Two people go. If they don't repent, then you tell it to the church. The church goes and calls them to repentance. And if they still won't repent, then you put them out for the destruction of their flesh. That the pain might jolt them awake and say, this is not good for you. Wake up. The destruction of their flesh. But, but look at this. I love it. Because Paul's addressing our question, well, that doesn't seem very loving. Oh, discipline is incredibly loving. Discipline is incredibly loving because so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. There is something so much more valuable than your comfort. And that's salvation. To stand in all of eternity at the throne of the Lamb Oh, it's so much better than just an awkward conversation. Right? It's so much better than than to not be made uncomfortable or to have someone say something hard to you. Or to be put out. You see, it's the grace of God that, that their flesh might be destroyed so that they would be saved. You see, their flesh is destroyed, but their spirit is saved. And so discipline always has as its goal, restoration. Let me say that again. Discipline always has as its goal, restoration. When I discipline my children, when I tell them don't touch the electrical outlet, and then they do, and I discipline them and they cry, it's for their good. It's because I love them. Not in opposition to my love, but because of my love that I discipline them. Hebrews 11 tells us that, or Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 11 tells us that. First Corinthians 11 talks about that, that discipline is because of God's love. It's not in opposition to love. And so the process is that, that they would be removed in the, the name of Jesus and in the power of Jesus, then there's a separation. Well, what is this separation? Well, the Scripture talks about that there's this protective umbrella that happens in the body of Christ. That there is a protection, that, that there are actually leaders and elders and pastors who keep watch over the church. And there's a protective umbrella that those under this umbrella, which ultimately is the umbrella of Christ, that we're protected. But then to be removed out from under that protective umbrella of the body of Christ is dangerous. Paul then goes on to say, here's the reasons. Here's the reason for why you need to do this, for why you need to remove them, why you need to to deliver them to Satan for the destruction of their flesh so that they may be saved. But then also, here's the other reason. Verse verse 6 and 8. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Ten times, Paul's going to say, do you not know? It's his little way of just kind of jabbing the Corinthians and be like, y'all think y'all have this knowledge, but oh, do you not know this? Ten times in the next couple of chapters, he's going to say, do you not know? Do you not know? Do you not know? Just say, like you think you've arrived, but yet you need to be humble. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Now, I read that and I think, huh? Because I don't bake bread. And most of you guys don't bake bread. There's a few of you that you read that and you're like, yeah, I get it. But most of us, and especially this crew up here, like, we don't get it. Like, millennials, we're like, bake bread? I buy that stuff, right? <laughs> you, you think that vegetables just come from the grocery market, too, right? Like, they grow. But, but here's the deal. It's like, we don't get this analogy, so let me explain it. That, that what would have happened is to bake bread... In this day, everyone would have understood this because you would make some dough and you would keep a little bit of dough from a previous time that had leaven in it, yeast, right? Now, they didn't have pure yeast, and so they couldn't open a packet and dump it in there, and the bread goes, right? So they would have kept a little bit from a previous time, and then they would have mixed it into the new lump of dough that didn't have any leaven. Here's plain man's turn. If you don't have leaven, you got tortillas. If you got leaven, you got a loaf of bread. Right? Like, that's the difference. So, unless you just want to make tortillas all the time, which aren't great with peanut butter and jelly, then then you need some leaven. So, they would have taken this leaven just a little bit, didn't take much, and they'd mix it in. And you know what that leaven would do? It just multiplied it leavens the whole lump. So then you would save a little bit of that for the next time you made bread. Because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. Now, let me put it in another way for us that we understand. Most of us don't understand bread, but the flu. Those of you that have kids, you know that if one kid at the daycare has the flu, I'm not taking my kid because a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. You're like, "Uh uh-uh, you need seven weeks of quarantine. (laughs) Right? Like, uh uh-uh, I'm not playing with that. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. That it spreads. Well, what is Paul saying? He's saying, do you not know that the sin in your midst, if it's not dealt with, will spread to all of you? Whoa. Sin isn't this pet that we can keep caged up and contained. It's leaven which spreads. So what do we do, Paul? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. This is who you are. Christ has died. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed, paid for. Clean, pure, holy, righteous. Your sin is as far as the east is from the west. It's to the depths of the sea. It is no more. That's who you are. Christ, our Passover lamb. You see, we deserved the death. We deserved. He's throwing it back to this Passover where they They slaughtered. They sacrificed a lamb. They put its blood on the doorpost. That the angel of death. God judging sin and death. Passed over. Why? Because of the blood of the lamb. And that us. We all know we've committed sin. We all know we're no better than this person. Our sin is no worse than theirs. And yet because of Christ. Our Passover lamb, God passes over in judgment. We are unleavened, pure, spotless because of Christ. If you've never put your hope in Christ, you're not. You stand rightfully in the place as the target of God's wrath and judgment. That's all of us. But because of Christ, you don't have to stay there. It says for anyone who confesses and believes, then they're saved. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. You don't have to stay there, but this is our identity that we are unleavened. So then Paul says, verse 8, it just leads right into this. Let us therefore celebrate the festival. Like that's worth celebrating, guys. Not with the old leaven. Don't go back to your old stuff. You're new. The leaven of malice and evil. Don't go back to that. But with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is how we live forward. This is how we go forward. This is how we move forward. In sincerity and truth. In our new identity. So, Paul lays all that out and gives this test example of of this man in sin, and how the church is to repent, how the church is to interact, and then he's going to transition this to the corporate level even more. So so here's, here's what's going on. Lost people act lost, right? They always act lost because they are lost. So that doesn't shock us that lost people act lost. We get that. And saved people ought to act saved because they are saved, and that's their identity, and so we get that. But what do you do with someone... Who says they're saved, but acts like they're lost. Like, what, what are we supposed to do with this person in the church? Because that's what was going on. is They say they're saved, but they act lost. And so what do we do? Well, Paul has told us to remove them, but heres he's going to explain that even more. Verses 9 to 13 shows us that the community identity of the church requires holiness. Verse 9. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people. Not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy, or swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. Okay, so what is Paul saying? Well, he's saying like, I've written to you about this before. Don't associate with sexually immoral. And we go, okay, questions in that, what do you mean, Paul? Well, he says, not meaning like, the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy or swindlers or idolaters since then you would need to go out of this world. I'm not saying like lost people. I'm not saying don't associate with lost people. Like the scripture is clear on what we as believers in Christ, that we are the light of the world, salt of the earth. Take the gospel to them. He's saying, if I was telling you that, you'd have to be an alien because you got to go somewhere else to live because this world's lost. So I, I wasn't telling you don't associate with lost people. What I am telling you, verse eleven, but now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, and is guilty of sexual immorality. No, we got to define some things: sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, or a violer, or a drunkard, or swindler. So we got to start to define some things. What does it mean to associate? This is someone who bears the name of brother and is guilty. We need to talk about what does this mean, these, these sins that he's listing and this guilt. Well, if it's just sin or someone who has sinned, all of us. So he's not talking about that. Paul knows that he's the chief among sinners. So he's not talking about, hey, have you, do you struggle with sin? Have you ever sinned? He's not talking about that. What Paul is talking about is someone who claims to be a follower of Christ yet has embraced their sin and refuses to fight it. Dever talks about it like this, that, that you're either going to stand with God on sin, or you, you're going to stand with the devil on sin. That you've got a choice. You're either going to stand with the devil on how he views sin, or you're going to stand with God on how he views sin. That's the choice. So, what do we do with someone who says with their mouth... My friend always says that you got two tongues. you got the one in your mouth and you got the one on your shoes. The one in the mouth says, I'm with Christ. But the one on their feet says, I'm with Satan. Well, the scripture says, you know a tree by its fruit. Where are they standing? Where are they standing? They're bear the name of brother or sister in Christ. Yet they're guilty of sexual immorality. They're standing and embracing their sin. This isn't fighting. This isn't wrestling with. This isn't struggling. This is guilty. Guilty. Now what does it mean to associate? Paul says, Now I am writing to you not to associate. We need to understand that. This word is actually pretty confusing. It's used a couple times here, and then it's used in 2 in Thessalonians. And it kind of is in a little ambiguous. What does it mean to associate? Well, we, we know the term guilty by association, right? So we can kind of start to understand it by that. Does it mean I can't talk to him? Well, no. But what does it mean to associate? The, the fruit guy at Kroger I talk to him sometimes, but nobody would be like, oh yeah, you associate with him? Like, no. But do I hang out with him on the weekends? Are you always around him? Do they have influence in your life? What does it mean to associate? Well, Paul gives us a little bit of an explanation. He says, not even to eat with such a one. Not to eat with such a one. Well, well, food in this day, much like in our day, is like, if you want to have a meeting with someone, what do you do? Hey, let's go grab lunch. Right? Like, we associate food with, with this friendship and this exchange of influence. This is, oftentimes, they would have signed contracts at a meal. Like, this is, there's relationship. And Paul says, don't associate with one who bears the name of Christ's follower yet is living in sin. Now again, Matthew 18 really helps us in this. Because this isn't some quick thing where it's like, oh, you're in sin. Repent. Uh, what? Oh, you're out. Right? That's not it. It's like one person goes to him, hey, I, I see kind of these things in your life and I don't think it's good for you. I think it's Like, can you tell me more? Like, okay, let's look at the scripture together. Like, I think that the scripture says this. What do you think? No, I don't think so. Well, okay, so how do you understand that? Well, I just ignore that. Okay. So then you take two people. You go, hey, man, we've been praying for you. We love you. We want what's best for you. Like, the scriptures say this, like, this is not good in your life. They're like, I don't care. I'm going to live how I want to live. So then Matthew 18 says, you tell it to the church and the church comes to them and says, hey, this is not good for you. This is sin in your life and you need to repent. And they say, no. And then you remove them. In order that, so that, The destruction of their flesh might cause them to repent and be saved. Seems harsh. It moves us past what we're comfortable with, right? Because here's the reality. These are people we love. These are family members. These are people we've watched the Saints games with for the last 12 years. This isn't a prideful arrogance like you're out. This is brokenness. But are you going to be broken over someone you love living in sin? Does that break your heart? This ought to cause us to mourn. Not boastful, prideful arrogance. This isn't done in malice or prideful arrogance like, if you're living in sin, you're out. This is brokenness, mourning over sin. It says, verse 12, for what have I to do with judging outsiders? Lost people act lost. They're going to act lost. Why are you concerned that they're acting lost? Of course they act lost, because they're lost. What have I to do with judging outsiders? Nothing. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? Whoa, Paul, wait a minute. You mean so like I'm supposed to like examine each other's life? Yeah, when you sign a church covenant... And you make a commitment, a covenant to the Lord and to one another to bear one another's burdens and to live life with one another. And to say, when I see you walking in sin, I love you enough to have a really awkward conversation and to call you to repentance. Yeah. Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? See, this moves us past our comfort zone because culturally we say, well... We think that what someone does in their own home on their own time is their own business. Right? Like, that's their time, their home, their business. But we don't believe that. If someone's building bombs in their home on their time, we're like, no! And yet in the church, we go, their home, their business, not my problem. And Paul's moving us because he says, oh no, you can't have corporate holiness apart from individual holiness. And that as a corporate body, you need one another to call you up, to encourage you to faithfulness. See, that's why we designed the church the way that we did is we think it is most faithful to the scripture is that community groups function in this way. For someone to walk in sin and to refuse to repent of their sin, you can't just keep inviting them into your community group and say, hey, come share a meal with us. We'll pretend like nothing's happening. That's not good. Well, but isn't it unloving to remove them and tell them they can't come? No, discipline is loving. Because it has the goal that it will wake them up to say, that's not good for me. We need each other to examine each other's life with humility, understanding, like Paul's already said, you haven't received anything that you earned. It was all grace and given to you. So you have no room for boasting. But we need each other. Verse 13 finishes this way it says, God judges those outside. That's scary. God judges those outside. To stand under the judgment of God is a frightful thing. Oh, what a celebration that Christ, our sacrificial lamb, has died and taken the judgment of God for our place. God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. That the protective umbrella, as you remove evil And those who live in sin, they stand under the judgment of God. And it's loving that we might call them back to repentance. So let me give you four reasons why you exercise church discipline. Four reasons why you exercise church discipline. Number one, it's loving to the one who's in sin. It's loving to practice church discipline to the one who's in sin. Let me put it the other way. It is not loving to ignore it. It kind of wakes us up of like, it, it turns the wisdom of the world on its head. If you really love someone, you'll have the awkward conversation. If you love them. If you don't love them, just ignore it. Right? It's like, whoa. Yeah, this is the wisdom of God. Number two, it's dangerous to the church when we don't. It is dangerous to the church when we don't practice church discipline because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. It's dangerous. Number three, it's confusing to the world when we don't practice church discipline. It's so confusing to the world. Wait a minute, you say this, but you live that. And you're a part of that church? Yeah? How confusing. Christ died to pay for your sins and yet you're still living in it? Then what need was Christ? Man, it's confusing. I'd go an even further step that it's harmful to the gospel. But as we practice church discipline, it paints a picture to the world that Jesus is worth it and that his ways are best. In college, I got to see this done and in the removal of someone from a service from the church, we got to see a lady come to know Christ because she said, wow, y'all take this serious. Y'all believe this. It's confusing to the world when we don't practice church discipline. And number four, it's commanded. It's just a command in Scripture that for us to obey. Just like every other command that, that the scriptures call us to this. And so we need to walk in faithful obedience. So what's the application for us? Well, individually, we need to care and live holy lives. Individually, on a personal level, then we need to examine our lives and seek to root out all sin. In order that corporately, we might live a holy and pure identity as the bride of Christ. This text ought to cause us to go, wow, I need to examine my life. And I need to root out sin in my life. Number two, we ought to humbly examine one another's life. Now that steps on our toes. You mean people are watching what I say and what I do? Yeah. And it's good for us. Think of how different you would live if your life and what you watched and what you said was blasted from Times Square. (laughs) Oh, Yo, right? It's healthy for us because holiness is good for us and accountability is good for us. And so we ought to lovingly encourage one another to walk in holiness. And then lastly, as a church, we have to strive for holiness collectively. That's who we are in Christ. We need to live that identity. It's who we are. Let's pray. Lord, your word is good. Even in the places where it pushes us, it stretches us, it pulls us, it just straight up confronts us. Lord, would you help us to submit fully to it? Lord, I just confess that some of these things are so hard, especially when I think about personal circumstances. God, and yet your word is good. It's what you called us to in order that we might be this picture of the bride of Christ, as Revelation talks about, robed in white, robed in the righteous acts of the saints. Lord, that as we live this out, Lord, that your word says that, that it's a beacon of light to the world. Lord, would you help us to live this for our good, for your glory. For the testimony to the world. Lord, that it, it speaks of the truthfulness of sin. That it's, it's not okay and it's not a pet that can be kept around. But that, that it's destructive and painful. Lord, would you help us? We need your help. That sin might cause us to mourn and move us to action. That we might be holy and pure. What you've called us to be and created